Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. I want to welcome all of us uh, here at uh, Center Street Church, uh, those of us uh, here at Central Campus, as well as those watching from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Every time I speak over the next few weeks, I'll be preaching on a sermon series I'm calling Through the Wilderness, taken from the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy. Christians all through the ages have one thing in common, the wilderness. In fact, the wilderness theme runs through the Bible. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, and even Jesus spent time in the wilderness. What do I mean by the wilderness experience? The wilderness is a place of God-appointed testing and trial. It is a season of preparation for what God is going to do next in your life. The book of Numbers in the Hebrew Bible is actually titled, In the Wilderness. It records the journey of the Israelites from their great exodus in Egypt, from Egypt. God delivered them from slavery, and he led them through a wilderness to prepare them before they went into the promised land. It appears in God's equation, the way to the promised land is through the wilderness, and that hasn't changed even today. In this series, we are talking about navigating the wilderness experiences of life so we can reach the ultimate destination God has for each one of us. The book of Numbers tells us the people of Israel were standing at the threshold of the promised land, all set to make history. The promise made to their ancestors was about to be realized, and God himself was urging them to take possession of the land. But the Israelites caved into their fears and squandered a God-given opportunity. As a result of their unbelief, the entire generation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until every one of them perished except two individuals, Joshua and Caleb. When we look at our life, we know that sometimes we end up in the wilderness because of our own choices, as in the case of Israel. Their failure to face their fears and trust God came with a price, and they suffered for it. But there are times in our life we end up in the wilderness, not because of our choices, but because of the choices of those around us. This is harder to reckon with. For in this case, you are a victim who has been wronged. It's unfair because you had nothing to do with it. You're made to pay for someone else's offense. What do you do when you end up suffering for no fault of your own? D.A. Carson, in his book, How Long, O Lord, shares the story of a young woman who had a fruitful ministry as a missionary in Latin America. She returned home to marry a graduate of a Bible college, a man she had known for a few years. He promised to join with her and serve in the mission field. 
But it didn't take her very long after her wedding when she realized the man she was married to was a monster. He was psychologically brutal. He had an outward form of religiosity, but inwardly he was deeply insecure and savagely demeaned everything his wife did, said, and stood for. The mission board witnessed the chaos in their marriage and decided not to send them to the mission field. As the years went by, the abuse intensified. The woman tried talking to her friends, counselors, and in her desperation, she looked everywhere for help. Eventually, she turned to drink, and within a couple of years, became a confirmed alcoholic. And all along, her sincere desire to serve God, to preach the gospel in Latin America, to make a significant difference with her life, all lay shattered in ruins for no fault of her own. And she hated herself, hated her husband, and hated God. As pastors, we regularly minister to individuals like that who are in the wilderness for no fault of their own. A drunken driver who takes the life of a loved one or injures them severely. The baggage that comes with being raised in a broken home. A betrayal of trust that destroys a relationship. A painful divorce a boss who's unfair, jealous people who impede your success, the pain of abuse that has left its scars. There are many ways we can suffer for no fault of our own. The pain and sorrow that comes out of it are deep and legitimate. And I'm not dismissing it by any means. But if we are not careful, we can fall into this trap of a victim mentality. It is easy to point fingers at others and our circumstances and feel like life has cheated us. Sometimes we justify our own wrong behaviors by putting the blame on others' actions. The wilderness is a breeding ground for victim mentality. But as a child of God, you cannot allow such feelings to rob you of the joy and the purpose of God for your life. So how do we defeat this victim mentality and embrace the destiny the Lord has for us? We're going to look at a man who exactly did that. He suffered for no fault of his own, but he did not allow that to stifle him and make him bitter Rather, he rose to the occasion and did great exploits for God. The man I'm referring to is Caleb. I'm going to ask us now to stand as we read from God's Word. Two passages of Scripture. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 to 10, and Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? 
our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Lord, we are grateful to you for the examples in the Bible through whom you speak even today. We thank you for the powerful testimony of Caleb. I pray, God, that we will be able to draw inspiration from this character. I pray for especially people here today who've gone through any forms of deep abuse. That, Lord, this message will not bring any feelings of condemnation. Rather, you will minister to them in grace and love that they will learn to lean on the community you have provided them, and God, that ultimately they will find the victory that comes through Jesus Christ. So come and minister to us, Lord, in the power of your Spirit. Personalize this message to every one of us here. We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Caleb is a fascinating character in the scripture. The Bible doesn't give too much attention to this hero. It doesn't take uh, the center stage or stay in the limelight for too long. 
But whatever we read about him makes us long to have a heart like Caleb's. Caleb is called the son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite. What that means is his ancestors were not from Israel. They were Gentiles. They were outsiders. They didn't have the right pedigree. We don't know how and when this happened, but Caleb's father had somehow become part of the community of Israel, and they were allowed to join the tribe of Judah. The Bible gives us a glimpse into three seasons of Caleb's life, and we're going to take a brief look at each of them. In the first season of his life, Caleb the outsider had now risen to the ranks of a leader in Israel. The Israelites were stationed at Kadesh Barnea, all set to enter the promised land. At the people's request, Moses sent 12 spies to explore the land of Canaan. So he selected one leader from each of the tribes of Israel, and Caleb was chosen from the tribe of Judah. At the time, Caleb was 40 years old, at the prime of his life, ready to take on fresh challenges, raring to go for God. The 12 spies spent 40 days in exploring the land, and they bring back an identical report. The land is truly flowing with milk and honey. It is indeed a good land the Lord is giving to us. But 10 of the spies did not stop there. They added the negative side of the report. The people of the land are powerful. The cities are fortified with walls that are impenetrable. And the land devours its inhabitants. They said we even saw some giants in the land, the descendants of the Anakites. As a result, they came to an unanimous conclusion. It is impossible for us to conquer Canaan. The promised land is just a dream. It will never, ever be realized. But there was a lone ranger who begged to differ. Caleb spoke up against the negative current. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. As the pessimistic voices started getting louder and louder, Caleb silenced all of them. Up to this point, even Joshua had remained quiet, but it was Caleb who first spoke up. His words affirmed his faith in God. It dispelled the needless fears of the people. Caleb emphatically declared that day, yes, the inhabitants of the land are strong, but with God on our side, who can stand against us? Caleb was not just a man of great faith, He's a man of faith in a great God. Again, in our text in Numbers 14, you hear Caleb once again speaking up courageously along with Joshua, urging the people to walk by faith. Numbers chapter 14, verses 6 to 9, we read, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. 
And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The people were quaking in fear at what they had heard from the spice. They had concluded the mission to be seemingly impossible. And Caleb and Joshua made it plain and simple. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into the land. Israel's victory hinged on one thing only, not their military power, nor the strength of their opponents, but it depended on their obedience to God. In the first phase of Caleb's life, you can see his deep convictions and unwavering faith. Surely the people will be touched by such sincere, passionate faith and listen to God, won't they? The story tells us the people disagreed with Caleb's report. They were swayed by the majority opinion and allowed their hearts to melt in fear. So look at Numbers 14, 2 to 4. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Israel made a fundamental mistake. Truth cannot be measured by numbers alone. In fact, truth sometimes stands in opposition to the majority. But the people chose to believe the negative report, and the situation spiraled out of control. They now wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua. They conspired to elect a new leader and go back to Egypt of all places, the very country where they were once slaves. The exodus is the greatest redemptive act of God in the Old Testament. God had seen Israel's suffering in Egypt. He personally delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, and it served as a testimony to the nations of Yahweh's power. God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt, not just to relieve them of physical suffering, but He had this plan of choosing a nation through whom his plan of salvation for the world will be realized. When the people wanted to go back to Egypt, they wanted to break their covenant with God. It was like they were disowning Yahweh altogether. In today's language, that's like a Christian saying, I'm going back to my old life of sin because I'm tired of following Jesus. God pronounces his judgment on the people for this act of serious rebellion. Hear these chilling words of God's discipline. Numbers 14, 21 to 23. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of them who saw my glory and the signs performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. 
no one has treated me with contempt will ever see it. God was not rejecting his people forever. This was a season of discipline. And the next 40 years, they will pay the price for their rebellion. The generation that saw the miracles in Egypt, the 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, they who experienced God's faithfulness and miraculous provision in the wilderness will die before they stepped into the promised land. But God singles out a person among the million or more people, and this is what God tells us about this person. Numbers 14, 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. The majority of the Israelites had a fearful, rebellious spirit that kept them from obeying God. But Caleb had a different spirit, the right attitude, which in turn helped them to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. That was the secret of Caleb's life. He followed God with all his heart fully. And do you know something? The Bible affirms this not just once, not just twice, but six times. Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I can't think of anybody else in the Bible who bears such an incredible testimony. Caleb had an undivided heart. He followed God with everything he had with no hint of compromise. In the first season of his life at age 40, God himself commends Caleb for his devotion. We now move to the second season of Caleb's life, and it is a season of complete anonymity. What is going to happen to this 40-year-old, dynamic, committed, passionate, faithful, willing-to-take-on-giants kind of a leader? Caleb, for no fault of his, would suffer along with the rest of the people for 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years of aimless, fruitless wanderings, going nowhere in particular, walking through the same old terrain over and over for 14,600 days. And during that entire time, Caleb was not taking new territories for God. He was stuck in one place. His spiritual gifts were put on the shelf and gathered dust. The wilderness offered no opportunity to exercise his visionary leadership. And Caleb remained hidden for 40 years. Have you been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? The book of Numbers tells us the population of adult Israelites who wandered through the wilderness would have been over a million. Every one of them, except Joshua and Caleb, had to die in 40 years' time. Anyone over 20 years of age and over. 
So if you do your math, that means 25,000 deaths every year, over 2,000 every month, 66 people every day. If they had 10 hours a day allotted for funerals, that's seven funerals an hour. Every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, for 40 years, all they saw was death, funerals, sorrow, and weeping. Can you imagine what the mood in the camp would have been like? And along with that, the repeated complainings, murmurings, rebellion against leadership, hardness of heart. That's what characterized that generation. And Caleb, this great man of God who had a different spirit, who followed God with everything he had, had to put up with all of that and watch the prime of his life go by, being cheated of 40 years of life in the promised land. Rather than enjoying the blessings and abundance of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, here he was trudging through a dry, dreary desert surrounded by misery, sorrow, and tears. Talk about a story that has gone off script. And all of this because the people refused to listen to Caleb's advice. None of this would have taken place had they taken Caleb's words seriously. Caleb watched the demise of his family, maybe his parents, his brothers, sisters, his friends, people he grew up with, all die one after another. And when something like that happens, you would think Caleb's dreams would have been flattened. His passion for God would go lukewarm, and he would have turned into a crusty, bitter, mean-spirited, angry old man. The Bible is silent. Caleb stays behind the scenes throughout the entire 40 years of wandering. As a result, we don't know his feelings, his struggles, his frustrations, his disappointments. We have no insights into it. And then you come to the book of Joshua, and you wonder, where is our hero? Where is Caleb? Under Joshua's leadership, the new generation had made it to Canaan. They had fought wars. They had some amazing victories. And now they are finally distributing the land to each tribe by casting lots. And we come to the 14th chapter of the book of Joshua, and our hero finally shows up. What is Caleb going to be like after all he had gone through? What kind of an old man has he grown into? Here's a glimpse of the third and final season of Caleb's life. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 to 9. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, 
And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. After 45 long years, nothing seems to have changed. Stunning, isn't it, considering all that Caleb had gone through? In fact, Caleb looks even more passionate and even more determined for God. Not once did Caleb say to the people, I'm tired of being a victim. I'm done with all of your ungodliness. I no longer want to walk with this evil generation. I want out. Caleb stayed put through thick and thin knowing God was at work through the tragedy, and he kept trusting in God's purposes. And in doing so, Caleb finally stakes his claim on God's promise. After all the delay, 45 years later, God's promise came to pass at the appointed time. Now, you may wonder, how did Caleb do it? How did he survive those years of waiting? How did he defeat a victim mentality? Caleb believed the actions of others may affect you, but they don't have to define you. Caleb knew the hurts and disappointments of the past don't have to dictate your future. Caleb had a strong conviction that no external force can hinder what God wants to do in and through your life. And that is the assurance we have today as God's children. We don't have to walk in defeat and discouragement because of what someone else has done to you. Hear me. The evil intent of others cannot cancel God's plan for your life. Once God sets something in motion, no force on earth can stall his work. And in one moment, God can make up for the years of loss. That's what shatters the victim mentality. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because Jesus takes those who are victims, he pours his glory and his strength into their lives, and he changes victims into victors. One of the greatest hymn writers of our Christian faith was Francis Jane Crosby, popularly known as Fanny Crosby. 
She wrote more than 9,000 hymns throughout her life, and we sing some of them even today. As a six-week-old baby, Fanny was sick. The family doctor was away, and a man who pretended to be a certified doctor gave her a wrong medication, and the treatment left Fanny completely blind. Fanny ended up in the wilderness for no fault of hers. She had to pay a huge price for no wrongdoing that she committed. If ever there was a case for a victim mentality, this was it. But Fanny didn't grow up to be bitter and angry at God. Rather, she fell in love with him. Her focus wasn't on what she did not have, but she discovered the gifts and talents God had given to her. You know, if she had seen herself as merely a victim, the world would have missed out on such incredible hymns of faith. Instead, she leaned on God, who in turn used her to write songs that have ministered to millions over the years. A preacher once told Fanny, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. And Fanny's immediate response was, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. That's because Fanny knew the secret. No man can rob her of the destiny the Lord had for her life. Do you believe that for your life? Now look at what else Caleb told that day to Joshua. We come to Joshua 14, verses 10 to 12. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day you yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. I tell you, these are the most incredible words you will ever read. Dude, you are not young anymore. You are 85 years old. Caleb at age 85 is not taking off his army boots and putting on a pair of slippers and asking for a quiet retirement housing by the beach away from all the action. That's what I would have chosen. But Caleb is preparing for fresh conquest and taking on the toughest assignment possible. Caleb says, I'm 85 years old and I'm still strong today. Caleb, could you please give us the secret to your vitality? 
Because we have a generation of people who are fatigued and tired that we walk around like zombies. Surely we can learn from your secret. Caleb looked at Joshua the day and he asked for the hill country of Hebron. Do you know why? Because that's where the giants lived. This tall people group called the Anakites dwelt there in large fortified cities. 45 years ago, when Caleb and the rest of the spies went exploring the land of Canaan, they came to this very place called Hebron. It was a sacred place for the Jews because Abraham bought a piece of land there to bury his wife Sarah. And later, Abraham himself was buried there, and so were Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But Hebron was also the land of the giants, the tallest, strongest people group, the descendants of Anak lived there. In fact, it was seeing these tall people that caused the spies that day to conclude, we will never be able to conquer the promised land because we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. It was Hebron of all places that sowed doubts in their mind, which in turn caused all of Israel to rebel. And Caleb sets his eyes on the greatest, staunchest, hardest opposition that faced Israel, and he says, it's time to slay the giants in Hebron because my God is faithful to his promises. Don't you love this guy? And you turn one page in your Bible, come to Joshua chapter 15, you will read about Caleb's success. He drove the giants away and took hold of the territory for God. It's like Caleb was making a statement to unbelieving Israel. I told you all along, this isn't impossible. Yet another way to defeat the victim mentality is to live for a cause that is greater than yourself. Stop living a self-centered life and ask God for a mountain, for a divine assignment that fits your life's purpose. Invest yourself in God's kingdom. When you're fully engaged in God's work, there's very little time to throw a pity party for yourself. You know, 85-year-old Caleb speaks powerfully to our generation today. He speaks to people whose physical and mental faculties are in good shape and your formal career is finished. If you think you have paid your dues, that you have earned your rewards after all your years of hard work, and now it is time to just sit back and relax and follow the retirement ideas of the world that revolve around leisure and hobbies and sports and make it the primary focus of the final chapter of your life, you have got it wrong. A Christian never retires from his or her life's mission. No military officer will ever retire in the middle of a war. And the last time I checked, the war is raging fiercely. Your mission is not over until you take your last breath. 
You know, Caleb speaks not just to our seniors. He speaks to the rest of us, especially to our youth. Caleb demonstrated an unwavering faith and followed God wholeheartedly for a lifetime. You know, how I wish our young people will make it the mission of their life to exalt Jesus in every season of their life. For we need a generation of young men and women like Caleb with unwavering faith, following the Lord wholeheartedly, so in love with Jesus that they don't settle for the Canadian dream, but they dare to dream big for God's kingdom, and they claim territories and seize opportunities so the mission of Jesus can advance in our midst. Church, I tell you, that is the need of the hour. People whose spiritual graph is steady, consistent. They are passionate for God, starting in their teens, and that passion continues through their life well into their 70s, 80s, and 90s. Wherever you are in your life journey today, would you make a commitment to model the faith of Caleb? For it's never too late. It's never too late. I'm going to ask us to stand as we come to an end. I'm going to draw our attention to that verse. What God had to say about Caleb in Numbers 14.24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now, does that describe you and your devotion for the Lord? I want us to maintain a moment of silence right now and allow God to speak to you in the quietness of this moment. God may give you a big challenge. This is a time for you to ask God for a mountain, a challenge that fits your life's purpose. This is a time to leave the past behind, the hurts, the disappointments, and the pain, and entrust your future into the hands of the one who can guard it for you. So let's maintain a moment of silence right now and I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for this refreshing example in the Bible, a man whose life speaks to us today. God, we long to have a heart that is fully devoted to you. So would you teach us, would you help us by your Spirit to grow in our maturity, to grow in our commitment to you, to give our everything to you because you gave your everything to us. 
I pray, O oh Lord, that you will enable us to leave the hurts of the past behind and seize the future that you have for us, that our faith will arise and hold on to the promises of God, and the assurance will fill our hearts today that nobody can cancel the plan that you have for our life, for our church. God, even as we get ready to celebrate our 60th anniversary, we are reminded of the Caleb's, the men and women of great faith who have done great exploits for you from our church. And we pray today, God, that you will raise a new generation of Caleb's, that our young people will catch this vision to live all out for you, and they will do it throughout their life. We pray that, Lord, you will shield them from the attacks of the evil one, that their hearts will be set apart for you, that our young people will be a blessing to their generation. Even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.